Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 5, 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is good to see you this morning. Moms, we do celebrate you and we're thankful for all the moms in our lives and in our church. And hopefully you can get everybody to smile at the same time down there, all right? Now, I talked to my, my wife yesterday, and I said, babe, I, I'm sorry that uh, I, have a, I have a black eye for Mother's Day. And she just kind of shrugged her shoulders. She's like, yeah, do you realize this is the second time in three years you've had a black eye on Mother's Day? I'm like, dang it. No, but you're keeping track, obviously. Thankfully, we can edit that out. Just brush it out. She did not give me the black eye, okay? I, uh, I've got hobbies that are a little aggressive, okay? That's just how it is. I do jujitsu a little bit, so I don't even know how it happened. I got home, my son's like, you got a black eye. It was like after work, the whole day was over. I was like, no, I don't. I thought he was joking with me. You got a black eye, Dad. You better go check it. I look in the mirror, I'm like, dang it. No idea how it happened. So, all right, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to get after it. We've got a lot of work to do this morning. Father, we just thank you for being a God who pursues us, who comes after us. We thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus. This morning, I pray that you would just show us that. You'd remind us of that. I pray that you would give us what we need even in this moment. You would speak to us, that you'd help me, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. As a sinful man, you would speak uh, your words through me and your people would hear your voice. And they'd be fed and nourished uh, from your word this morning. We want all of this uh, for your glory and our good this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, if you're just joining us, we're in a series we're calling Fundamentals. And we're working week by week through the fundamentals of our church. And the last four weeks, we've talked about our identities in Christ that we celebrate at Sacred City. The identities of family, missionaries, servants, and learners. Now, why, we talk about these identities because it's key for us as a gospel-centered church to keep the grace of God front and center. And what that means is God has done a lot of work in the person of Jesus to make us new, okay? Christianity isn't primarily about what we do or don't do. It's about what God has done in Jesus. And God sent His Son to live the life that we can't live and die the death that we deserve to adopt us into his family. So we're family here at Sacred City, okay? If you're part of the church, you're family. But we're not just family that, you know, circle the wagons and sing kumbaya together. We're a family of missionaries. And so God wants other people to know who he is and what he's done. And so we live like missionaries in our city to teach people who God is and what he's done in order to save them, all right? And we serve one another. Jesus came and served us, so we serve one another as a way of life. And we're learners, trying to learn how to live this normal, everyday life for the glory of God. So that's the four identities. And once you understand those four identities, 
you really have a better concept of how to live a normal Christian life. So the identities are, this is who I am, and our rhythms are, this is what we do. So God has made us family, so we live like family. What do family do? We'll talk a little bit about that, each one of those rhythms. God has made us missionaries. What does missionaries do? We'll talk about each one of those. Now, we chose, when I planted the church, we chose the name Sacred City to reinforce the fact that all of life is sacred. There's no like weird division between sacred and, and secular, okay? There's not meant to be like your religious life and then your normal life, this weird divide, right? Our whole life is meant to live, be lived for the glory of God. Hebrews 4.13 says, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That means that the gospel changes everything in our life, right? The gospel, so when we receive the gospel identities that we've been given in Christ, those gospel identities produce gospel rhythms in the context of our normal life. And as we start talking about our gospel rhythms, we started last week, um, there's three things I want you to notice. One, they're normal. These are things that everyone already does. There's something that we have in common with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family members, okay? Two, they're timeless. These rhythms have been practiced for generations. They aren't a fad. This isn't some kind of, like, I went to a conference and I found some ministry, you know, strategy and we're trying to live these things out here. No, no, this is just things that are timeless. Third, they're universal. These rhythms work in every culture and every context. We do them here, you can do them in Kenya, you can do them around the world, right? So these rhythms should naturally resonate with you as a human. God created us to live this way, okay? So last week I said that what I'm trying to do in this, this part of this series is teach us how to live a gloriously normal life with gospel intentionality. That's the point, gloriously normal, okay? So last week we talked about the rhythm of listening, and today... We are looking at the rhythm of eating. Now, I wonder if you've ever heard a sermon on eating. I know I hadn't before starting Sacred City. Maybe a sermon on eating sounds just ridiculous to you. Why in the world would we want to talk about eating when people's eternal souls hang in the balance? I think we haven't heard many sermons on eating because we've lost a key piece of the gospel itself. The gospel redeems, restores, and recreates. You hear that, that re on the beginning of all those words? That means it brings back something in order that was lost. Okay? The gospel redeems the ordinary too. The gospel restores our everyday, ho-hum, moment-by-moment lives back to the original intention that God gave us when he created us. That means the gospel isn't just about the redemption of our immortal souls. It's not just about the renewal of the cosmos. The gospel changes everything, even the normal stuff, like our eating 
Now, before we get into our specific text this morning, let me give you a really quick, this is called a biblical theology of meals, okay? Biblical theology traces meals from the beginning of the Bible, the story, to the end of the story. And when you do that, it's very interesting, you find out how important meals are to the story of God. The Bible begins and ends with eating. The first words of God to humans are an invitation to eat of any tree in the garden except the one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, if you eat of that, you'll surely die. The first conflict in the Bible was over a forbidden meal. Eve, the mother of us all, happy Mother's Day, chooses to ignore God's warning and she eats of the tree of life, or the tree of knowledge and good and evil that she shouldn't have ate from. Then as you continue to read the, read the Old Testament, all of a sudden, like you're reading these stories and all, the, and all of a sudden you, all of these meals keep popping up. Abraham has this weird encounter with a Melchizedek and he has a meal with them and there's angels and he entertains angels unaware and has meals with them and there's, meals are an important part. Now I don't have time to go into all of those meals that took place, but one of the things that God does as he brings his people through the Exodus, he delivers them out of Egyptian slavery, And when he gets them through, he commands them in Leviticus, listen, listen to this command. He commands them to throw a bunch of parties each year and eat celebratory meals to remember what God had done for them in the Exodus. They were to celebrate the Passover meal, the Feast of First Fruits meal, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, which required a meal, and the Feast of Booths. That means a key piece of Israel's identity was remembered and celebrated in the way they ate together. God says, I want you to remember what I've done for you, and so I want you to eat together and celebrate it often. Meals were an important part and still are an important part of being Jewish. But I know, yeah, Justin, but we're not Jewish, right? That was Old Testament. We don't do that kind of stuff anymore because we have Jesus. Well, guess what? No figure in the Bible is more associated with food than its central character, Jesus. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus' first miracle wasn't healing the sick or raising the dead. His first miracle was in response to a wedding that was about to get really lame. The couple had ran out of wine before the party was over and Jesus' response was to turn 450 liters of water into the best wine that the guests had ever tasted. Not only that, but the last act of of Jesus before his death was to share the Passover feast with his disciples and he transforms that meal into what we call the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Fast forward to the end of the Bible, and what do you get? Let's go there. I'll open it up to uh, Revelation 19, uh, verses 6 and 9. Listen to this. This is where we're headed. This is where creation is headed. This is where the story of God is headed. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Why do we turn our worship up so loud? Because it's at 11 right here. Right? It's at 11 in Revelation 19, and we're working towards that. Okay, Keep reading. Hallelujah! 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, the Lamb is Jesus, the bride is his church. That's us. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We get that white robe. And keep reading. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we're moving towards. The Bible begins with the meal and it ends with the meal. Adam and Eve broke relationship with God over a meal. And Jesus restores his people back into the kingdom of God and the new heavens and the new earth over a meal. So why are we talking about eating? Because the Bible talks a lot about eating. Eating is an important part of our everyday lives. And the gospel changes everything, even our eating. Now, some of you are getting really nervous right now, thinking I'm about to lay out for you some new diet, the gospel-centered diet, right? Listen, I did not talk to Dr. Alex this morning, right? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go find out what he thinks about it. No, 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 that's not where I'm going this morning. So you can just really, broccoli ain't going to come up, okay? It's not going to come up. Uh-uh. Instead... I hope to show us how food is the common language of all people and therefore an important aspect of our life as Christians. Listen to this. This blew my mind a few years ago when I first learned it. There are four ways the Bible says Jesus came to earth. One, it says he came to seek and save the lost. Two, He came to give his life as a ransom for sinners. Three, he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. Four, he came eating and drinking. Isn't that fascinating? The first three ways represents Jesus' purpose in coming to earth. He came to save. He came to seek and save the lost. He came as a ransom. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. The second, the last way is how he came. He came eating and drinking. See, meals were a key piece in Jesus' lifestyle and ministry strategy. He practiced the rhythm of eating. Let me briefly show you this from a quick overview of the book of Luke. Our text today, Luke chapter 5, Jesus eats with notorious sinners and tax collectors. Luke 7, Jesus forgives a woman of the city, a sinner, at a meal. Luke 9 Jesus sees the crowds are hungry and he miraculously feeds 5,000 of them. Luke 10, Jesus eats with Martha and Mary. Luke 10, Jesus eats with the Pharisees and rebukes them over a meal about their hypocrisy. That meal got awkward. 
Luke 14, Jesus teaches about inviting not just your friends, not just the wealthy, not just the ones that you like, but inviting the poor and sick people to a meal. He taught about inviting those people to a meal while he was at a meal, right? That's like inception. He's talking about a meal inside of a meal. It's crazy, Luke 19, Jesus eats with the most famous little man in history, Zacchaeus. He eats with him at a meal, right? Luke 22, Jesus shares the Last Supper with his disciples. And now, one of the most interesting meals in all Scripture, Luke 24, the risen and resurrected Jesus shares a meal with his disciples. So he comes back to life in his new heavens and new earth body, a body that isn't, uh, it doesn't have limitations like our physical body does. They said they were praying behind locked doors and then Jesus just appeared there. Right? Like, we're talking Star Trek stuff here. Through the wall, and yet then he sits down and eats a fish with them. <laughs> Mind blown. Like, but Jesus, one of the things, and they recognized him when he ate with them. See, meals are an important aspect to Jesus' life. This has led scholars to say, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Some of you are like, no, now I'm, now I'm liking this. Let's go. Let's go. I like where this sermon's headed. More of that. This is why in Luke 7, 33-34, Jesus was labeled by those looking in on him and his disciples as a glutton and a drunkard. The Pharisees, the religious leaders and the scribes of Jesus' day, looked at the way Jesus did his life, the way Jesus did his ministry. And to them, it looked, why is this guy eating all the time and drinking all the time with these types of people? They thought he ate too much and drank too much and spent too much time with the wrong kind of people. But what we need to see this morning is that Jesus' eating habits is a picture of the gospel. It's a snapshot of the nature of God, the graciousness of God. In the life of Jesus, meals were a means to living out the gospel in community and on mission. It was a key piece to living a normal life with gospel intentionality. You're going to look in and we're going to see when they would say, why does Jesus eat like that? Why is he eating with those people? The only answer was the gospel. That's where we're going this morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Verse 27 through 32. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Very concise statement there. Lots of stuff we need to understand. First off, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi and approaches him and goes up to him and calls him. Now, we don't really think too much about that. If we're going to label you know, the, the, the sins of our society that we probably think are the worst, Tax collectors probably not up there. Maybe one time a year we think about that. Right about now, right? Right? But there's a lot, there's a lot of things that are a lot worse. Well, not so in Jesus' day, especially not for a Jew. Because 
the, the Jews weren't giving their taxes to their own government to govern them the way they wanted to be governed. They were a subjugated people group under the Roman Empire, and so their taxes went to prop up the Roman Empire, doing all kind of heinous and hideous things, okay? And a Jew who was also a tax collector was seen as a betrayer of his own people. He was stealing money from his own people to give it to those who, the Roman Empire, right? But look at this, how interesting this is. Jesus, even though it's a notorious sinner, somebody that the religious people would push away from, Jesus walks up to him and calls him and says, come follow me, Levi. Now, this is a tiny picture of the gospel. Come follow me. And he says it to a notorious sinner. And Levi does what notorious sinners are supposed to do. Levi says, all right, let's do that. And Levi drops everything, leaves his tax collector booth, and follows Jesus. Levi is converted. Levi becomes a disciple of Jesus and starts to follow him. So already we see that, God, that Jesus is different than most holy people, most religious type people. He actually approaches those who are notorious sinners. But he goes even farther. Keep reading. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. Okay, so the first thing we saw is Jesus calls a tax collector, a betrayer of the Jewish people to be his disciple. That's an amazing picture of grace. But then something happens in Levi. Levi's excited about what just happened. Levi had just had his sins forgiven. He had just been reconciled to God by this God-man, Jesus Christ. And what is, how, what is Levi's natural response? It's not, oh, thanks, cool. I'll just go about my normal life. Levi's like, let's throw a party. I'm throwing a party. Jesus is like, I do parties. Let's go. So Levi throws a party, and Jesus isn't at home. Whoa, I don't know. It's a party. People might think I'm fun. I can't do this. That's not his response. He goes to this party. Now let's look at this. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Okay? This is a large party. Right? This might get the neighbors called. Okay? Here we go. And the Pharisees and their scribes, who are these guys? These guys are the, the religious elite, the religious leaders, the religious leaders of Israel who were buttoned up and were moralistic and who wanted to be the good guys. Okay, that's who they were. And they're looking in at Jesus and they don't like the way the Son of God is living his life. Look what they say. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, here is the great lie of religion or the great promise of religion. Religion says only associate with good people like yourself. That's what it says. Bizarre that these guys are looking at the Son of God and going, I don't like the way you do that. You're eating with notorious sinners and tax collectors. See, 
Levi throws this party. He knows he's just received grace from Jesus. He knows he's got a lot of sinful buddies that need it too. He throws this party. Jesus and his disciples show up at the party. This is a missional community gathering right now where there's outsiders coming in. Right? This is more than just eating. This is a social occasion. This represents friendship and community and hospitality and welcome. And Jesus was radically welcoming and open to the people, to those he shared meals with. He ate with all types of people. He wasn't like the religious who only ate with their clique. He ate with liberals and conservatives. He ate with prostitutes and lawyers. He ate with tax collectors and fishermen. You could say blue collar and white collar. He Different races, different colors, different ethnicities. He ate with them all. This is how Jesus invited people into his life and into his kingdom. He did it over a meal. Look at this. Watch what he says here. When they questioned him, Jesus wasn't worried about his reputation. They might think you're this, Jesus. They did think he was that. They call him a glutton and a drunkard later. Guess how, guess how much Jesus cared about that? Whoops. None. He's like, did you know you could hang out with notorious sinners and not be one? Did you know that? Look what Jesus says. They said, why? Why do you eat with, and drink why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There's basically saying, Jesus, don't you know that can rub off on you? Don't you know you can get a bad reputation? Nobody wants to, a religious teacher hanging out with those people. It looks bad on you, Jesus. Jesus says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, or those who think they're righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is like, how bizarre that you think the Savior of the world would want to be around anyone other than sinners who I need to save. And how does he save sinners? He doesn't stand on the street corner and yell at them how bad they are. He eats with them. He comes near to them. He breaks bread with them. It's a visual picture of the gospel itself. His message wasn't come to church as much as it was come let's eat. Then at dinner, when the food and the wine were flowing, Jesus would listen for a cue and he would teach about his gospel and his kingdom. Jesus taught while he ate, while he fellowshiped with people. Scholar Tim Chester says this, Jesus didn't run projects. He didn't run projects. He didn't establish ministries. He didn't cre create programs or put on events. He ate meals. If you routinely share meals and you have a passion for Jesus, then you will be doing mission. 
It's not that meals save people. People are saved only through the gospel message. But meals create natural opportunities to share that message in a context that resonates powerfully with what you're saying. You could say, this is why we we eat so much at Sacred City. This is our mission strategy at Sacred City. Come, let's eat. We said it today. Scripture tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus in Revelation 3 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, that means believes on him, I will come in and eat supper with him. What? He'll eat, he'll eat with us? Do you see this? This is a restoration of community that in the garden, what we, we lost fellowship with God, it was cut off through eating. Jesus' promise is now to restore that to us. This is what he's saying to you in this room this morning. He's standing at your door, knocking on the door of your heart. And if you hear his voice and you open your heart to him and put your faith in him, he will come in and eat with you. Now, this is interesting. Because that's very, that sounds very informal to me. Just showing up at my house, knocking at my door, wanting to come eat with me. Moms, right? Well, I need some notice. We got to put this on the schedule. Right? Every mom in there, who's that? Jesus is at the door. Kids, get busy. Look busy. Get after it. I ain't got nothing. Jesus, you like them squeezy yogurts? That's all I got. (laughs) Jesus here comes, knocks on our door on his timetable. On his timetable. And says, knock, knock, knock. Anyone who hears my word and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. The risen, resurrected God of the universe who put on flesh wants to come in and eat with us. What a picture. This is why Jesus says of himself, one of the most bizarre sayings before he was crucified, no one's getting into my kingdom unless they eat my flesh and drink my blood. All of his disciples like, we out. That was weird. They literally went to him, they're like, do you realize that that didn't sound right to people? That sounded really weird. Nobody got that metaphor. Let's tweak that one a little bit next time you say it. He's like, no, no, no. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, he did walk on water, but let's just trust him on this one. That's weird, right? And then at the Last Supper, at the Passover, then, oh, this is what this means. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, eat this, this is my body. And the cup of the wine, he says, drink this, this is my blood that's shed the remission of your sins and drink it as a sign of the new covenant. Oh, eating his body and drinking his blood is another way of saying putting your faith in his work on your behalf. Jesus says you got to drink the water of life. In other words, eating is a picture of the gospel. God feeds us our salvation in Jesus. Every time we sit down to a meal, we're reminded 
by our hunger pains that we need something from outside of us to sustain our bodies. Every day, doesn't matter how fit you are, doesn't matter how productive you are, you are not a robot, you have to eat. You need something from outside of your body to sustain your output. And guess what? God has graciously given us food to eat. And in His grace and in His creativity, He didn't just give us bread and water. He didn't just give us white rice. He's given us multicolored, multi-textured, multi-sensational food. Spicy and sour and sweet and everything else in between there. That doesn't just satisfy our hunger, but it also fills us with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The best times in our life, many times, are over a meal. That is a picture of the gospel. Listen. We come to God empty. We come to God needy. And we need something from outside of ourselves to fill us, to satisfy our hunger. C.S. Lewis said that we all have a God-sized hole in the human heart. And what do we do with this God-sized hole? Well, what we do is we try to fill it with everything else. Right? Whatever we're into, we want more of that thing. If it's money, we want more money. But guess what? Money can't fill a God-sized hole. God is infinitely bigger than money. You'll never have enough money. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, none of them could fill that God-sized hole with money. If it's hunting, guess what? You'll never have enough space on your wall for the heads that you want to put up there. Be telling, honey, we need a barn. We need something more. Why? I ain't done yet. Whatever it is, moms, if it's the love and affection of your kids, if it's being the perfect mom, that hole in your heart cannot be filled by being mom. You will never be mom enough to fill that hole. Never. It's a God-sized crater in the soul. God built us that way because we're meant to find our satisfaction in Him to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He's the only one that can fill that spot in our soul. And this is what it is. So in the gospel, we sense our hunger, we sense our neediness, and we come to God. Many of us, we've spent our whole life trying to fill that God-sized hole with everything else. And we're never satisfied. We're always hungry for more. And and God leads us to himself. He knocks on our door and he's basically saying, will you open so I can come in and meet your need? And he fills that empty space in our souls with himself. Do you feel that inner ache this morning? You feel that hunger Jesus says that's a soul hunger. And he doesn't care where you've come from. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care who you've been with. He doesn't care how many times you've messed up. That hunger is leading you to him. He knows you. He loves you. And he invites you to come 
and eat. Let him fill you. Take him by faith this morning. Let him satisfy your soul. Now, as we close this morning, I want you to think about our four identities again. Family, missionaries, servant, learners. How do these identities change the way we eat? We already saw in the gospel here, it changes who we eat with, right? Jesus had an open table, right? His table was diverse. So our table needs to look like that. Remember, Jesus as opposed to the Pharisees. Many of us might need to ask ourselves, how diverse is my table? Is everyone around my table all Republicans? Is there ever a Democrat that eats at this table? Is my table all Democrats? Is there ever a Republican at this table? Is it all whatever? Same income level? Same neighborhood? Same ethnicity? Or does my table look like Jesus's? A diverse table. But also, just think about the practicalities here. Okay, if we're family, what does that mean about the way we eat? Well, we all eat roughly 21 meals a week. That means a couple of those meals should probably eat with family. We should probably eat with family, right? That's why we why we eat together at missional community. It was a strategy of Jesus. It was the way Jesus lived his life, and that's what we do. So we come together in missional community, and we don't just try to get real spiritual, and let's just pray, and let's just read, and let's just study the Bible. No, no, no. Chill out, bro. Let's eat together. Let's break bread with one another. Let's hear how each other's day is going. Let's hear, see where everybody's at, where their soul's at in this moment. And so we eat together as a missional community, as a family, at least once a week. Now, as the family of God, what else? We should also probably meet or eat occasionally with other members of our church. Have people over for dinner. Grill out together. A family that you want to get to know, invite them over. Families eat together. It's simple stuff. Well, what does it mean that we're missionaries? Well, we don't just eat together. Right? We eat together and we want to invite others into the meal like Jesus did or like Levi did. So even at missional community, our missional community isn't just for only Christians. It's also for those that we're on mission to that we want to see them come to faith. So what do we do? We bring our meals together and we eat together and we invite them in to come eat with us. That's why we do this as in missional community. Also, if we're a missionary, we should be eating one of those 21 meals a week maybe. One, with somebody who doesn't know Christ. Maybe that means we invite somebody down to have a drink with us or eat with us. Maybe it means we go sit in the, in the community break room at work instead of going to our car or going for a walk or doing something by ourselves, we actually eat with our coworkers. Maybe it means when somebody moves into our neighborhood, we actually bring a meal to them. This is old school stuff. If you've been around the church for a while, this is how the church used to build itself, okay? It was built around meals. You had potlucks, anybody that had, this is why we serve one another. When, when a mom has, gives birth, we make meals for them for two weeks. And I, I, we've been doing this for 10 years, and it's just normal for us. And when I, when I hear other stories out, out in the world, people are like, they do what? Nobody ever made me a meal. That's amazing. I can't believe that. 
We came home with our baby the first day. He, husband goes back to work. She's at home, and now she's got to make dinner that same night. It's exhausting. So we make meals for one another. We eat together. This is, 100 years ago, this is literally what the church did. They ate together often and invited others into the meal. My, we're also missionaries in, out in the world. So my missional community, we're on mission to an organization in Davenport in the rooftop uh, district, uh, Hope at the Brick House. And so once a meal, we bring, me, we, we bring food and we make a meal for that whole community. They come out, we play with their kids, we eat together. We don't just serve them, we sit down and eat with them. And there's no way I would know them in my normal life, in my normal rhythms of life. They're from a different segment of the city that I would never rub, rub shoulders with. Most of us would never rub shoulders with. And in this meal, we get to sit down together and eat and share and break bread with one another. And we get to say, we're doing this. We're here all because this is what Jesus has done for us. He came after us, knocked on our door, and entered our life. And so we come down here and make meals for you. Think about this. If you're a Christian... This is what your life should look like. You're already eating. <laughs> You're already doing this. Just do it a couple times a week with people in your church family and people that you want to see come into your church family. Bring them a meal. When somebody gets sick, bring them a meal. You want to bless a coworker, bring them a coffee. It's, it's normal. But this, is, this was the, the way Jesus lived his life, and this was the context that he created in relationship with people where he could share the gospel. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you for sending us Jesus. That Jesus came, he didn't just come preaching. He came eating and drinking. That Jesus is even here this morning by his spirit and he's knocking on the door of hearts and he's saying, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to be good enough or smart enough or make yourself any better. You have to hear my voice and open the door of your heart and I'll come in and I'll eat with you. He'll restore fellowship with us. So Jesus, I, I pray for those who are here, that they would hear your voice, and they would open the door of their hearts, and you would come in and eat with them. And I also pray for those this morning who maybe think about their table, and their table looks more like the table of the Pharisees than it does the table of Jesus. It's a table full of people that are just like them. Absent of notorious sinners. I pray, Father, that you would produce in their heart just an overwhelming sense of your own grace in pursuing them as sinners, that their table would represent the table of Jesus. You would give them a, a passion to do what Jesus did to go toward the lost, to go to the sick, to invite others in, to eat with them. And Father, I pray that you would just help us live 
this gloriously normal Christian life in our city. And as we eat together with one another, we invite others in to eat with us. We get to tell them the greatest news in the universe that Jesus opens his table up for sinners and says, come and eat with me. This is the type of God that we love and serve. And this morning, Lord, as Christians who know we failed you in many different ways, and yet every single week, every single Sunday, we get to come to your table once again. We get to bring our hungry bellies. We get to bring our empty hands, and we come and you meet us here in the table every single week, and you give us your body in the bread, and you give us your blood that's in the cup, and we're reminded once again that you have saved us. You have accomplished our salvation for us. You have made us new, and you're continually working on us and making us new until that day we will eat and drink with you again in the marriage supper of the Lamb. So would you meet us here this morning once again? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.